0: Welcome to the Am I Called podcast. Am I Called is a ministry that exists to help men find their call and to help pastors find called men. For more information and resources, visit amicalled.com. Now, here's your host, Dave Harvey. Good morning, folks. This is Dave Harvey, and this is the second podcast in a series of two with my friend Pete Greasley. Uh, Pete and I are sitting in Windsor, which is just outside of London. It's, uh, Windsor is the is it the second home of the Queen, Pete?
1: Yeah, well, Buckingham Palace is her official home, but Windsor Castle she would spend a lot of time. Which is just down the road to us here,
0: just down the road, about a mile. So, uh, Pete is the lead pastor of Christ Church. Pete is uh, a church planter. Uh, Christ Church was planted about twenty two years ago. Uh, Pete has traveled the world, uh, teaching, training. Uh, helping pastors and leaders understand the gospel more effectively, and so today, Pete, we are uh, we're continuing a conversation we began in last podcast, and 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 just to set some contact context, Pete, you you are fifty six, and you're leading a a very large Reformed church in the nation of Wales, which is part of the United Kingdom. Do you see yourself? remaining in that role until you have a heart attack or is is part of your plan to transition the church to a younger man sooner rather than later that's
1: not only a good question it's the question um and the answer is i don't know um, if i'm honest and it's something i've been back and forth yeah i'm 56 57 next month and i've been in pastoral ministry same time as you i about 32 years mm-hmm. 33 years so um started very young we're in this multi-generational church i'm part of a pastoral team of outstanding men i'm the oldest and i do ask myself would it serve the church if i were to move on or would it serve the church if I were to stay? Would it serve the team? Um, because I don't want to be the proverbial cork in the top of the bottle. But at the moment, I would have to say that it seems right, not just to myself, but to the team I work with and to the church, that uh, that I should stay for as long as I possibly can and continue to try and work with a team that is, is really diverse Diverse in age, diverse in gifting, diverse in experience and history. Um, And to be able to continue to work that through together. Whether I'd remain as the senior guy, um, I don't know. But I would like to remain in this church until I have my heart attack or whatever, even if I'm cleaning the toilets, uh, because it's home and it's it's the family to which I belong.
0: So... You, uh, you have an opportunity, Pete, to sit with a lot of pastors, um, and I also know that you guys have been thinking about this for a while. H- have you put any thought into, or offered any counsel to others on what what the indicators might be to know that the church, uh, or the staff, or or even you, the lead pastor, or another lead pastor, that they're ready to begin a
1: transition? What what might the indicators be <clears throat> uh yeah, we had that conversation a lot of time, obviously with guys um, i think I think men should be aw- uh, should be aware of subjective frustrations, putting those down as the indicators, which I speak to myself in that as well um, i think and not just looking at. Uh, the fruit of the last year but i think it's what what guys need to do this is what i would encourage them to do is not only talk to me but but not not let this be a subjective thing pulling objective viewpoints if they're working with other elders then what are those other elders saying what are they thinking if uh, is there a way of talking through with people that they respect who have been in the church for quite a period of time, um, there may be an indicator, and I would look more outside than, of myself than inside, that is starting to say, you know, the church has changed to the place where the giftings that you have may not serve us for the place that we need to go. Um, and that can happen. That can happen. But it should be it should be over a period of time. It should be a wrench. It should be done in a way that the church isn't damaged or harmed. The 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 big concern to me sometimes is I talk to guys who just say to me, in as many words, I can't hack it anymore. Mm-hmm. I can't take it anymore. I am you know, I've lost my faith, I've lost my heart for this place, I've lost my passion for it. It's time to move on. As if those subjects of experience and possible unbelief or or maybe hurts or struggles become the the arbiter to be able to say yeah it's okay to go um i don't think that's the case at all and i would always encourage men in that situation try and look at it more objectively try and look at who you are so assess your gifts that's why am i called is good not just for am i called to ministry or am i called to this church plant but but am i called now in this place, am I the right man at the right time for the right season? Am I still called? Am I still called, yeah. and, and am I still called and effective here? Um, and so for me, it's the objective things I need to see, which is basically the people that see me and know me and the people that see those guys and know those guys and are working with those guys. What really is the score? And what's more, do you have someone that is evidently should be taking on that role? Um, yeah. And, and is, have we prepared the
0: ground to be able to, have we prepared the people to be able to see how the gospel continues as a result of transitions like this? Yeah. So that getting the the gospel in the hands of the next generation is a good thing. It's a, it's a sign of success. I think one other thing I would add is that uh, yeah, something that I think is a little more common in the States is that I think, I think uh, men can build things and, uh, and then feel like they're done there and there might be the presence of a successor and there might be a culture that supports the transition, but there really isn't a clear, clear plan for how that man is supposed to serve on the other side of the transition. And so you're taking this guy who's been, you know, a major asset, an incredible, incredibly important part of the ministry. And uh, without a game plan, you're effectively sidelining him and uh, or he's sidelining himself. But the net effect is (laughs) he ends up having this dark night of the soul Mm. because he doesn't know, you know, he wasn't really called into anything. He was just called out of something. And, uh, and so we want to make sure that uh, part of the, one of those indicators is that we have, we have a plan for the guy that's transitioning. No question. Or he's going to be fruitful in this, in this next season. No question. You know, one of the things it does for me, Pete, is that it, it helps me to realize that, it, that a transition represents not just a new face, you know, for the ministry, but it's probably a new culture. Or at least a culture that's going to have different accents. It's going to to have a different fragrance. Um, in other words, I, I don't think that a guy transitioning is simply looking for a mini version of himself. Mm. Um, you know, it, it may be that the guy that is going to serve the church best is going to be a younger man. He's going to be um, more adept at at other kinds of things. And uh and that's gonna result in a shift. That's gonna be an emotional adjustment for the people. It's gonna be an emotional adjustment for the lead pastor who's transitioning out. I mean, I think about I, I wonder if this isn't why John Piper, when he you know, he turned yeah. the church over, he left for a year. <laughs> yeah. And uh and just kinda said, No, let me just let him lead and I'm gonna go and, and support the church in other ways for the next year. So you know, I, I wonder if you've thought about that and uh and and thought about how do we help the church to accept the
1: reality that the church is gonna change. Yeah. Um well part of part of the answer to that I think is is team and ensuring that everything doesn't revolve around one man because what you have with team, particularly a team that is diverse, is the church already learning that it's not just the way this guy does it, or just his priorities and just his passions, but there's a whole bunch of other guys in as well. I mean, I would, maybe I'm a romantic, I am a romantic, I know I am. I would love to see a situation where these things aren't so abrupt, and frequently they're abrupt, and I think it's the abruptness that can throw the church. I do see pastoral ministry, but Particularly, you know, sometimes a lead elder, as, as almost parenting in the church. And you don't just rip out dad mm-hmm. and replace dad. But if you can build a team so that over a period of time, years, men are working together. What I'd like to do is slowly, which I'm doing, I think, anyway, is slowly transition more and more to the guys I'm working with so that at some point it may become evident to the whole church do you know what this guy really is functioning in a leadership role and gifting Pete more than you are and and it's already happened so by the time you get up and say okay so and so is going to take on this lead role or so and so is taking on this role the church go yeah well of course that makes sense Um, that's I think the ideal but it takes time and you've got to be prepared to support men to do that. You've got to take the long-term view. I think it's a great way of doing. Support, it. support
0: the differences while you're still in the chair. Yeah. So that
1: people are accustomed to that. Yeah. yeah that. That's it's, what. It's, that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. And and in, and not only support them but enjoy them. Uh, enjoy those differences. Enjoy that diversity. Um. So I think that's that's a good way of doing it. I, I've. Because I've never moved, I've been, say for planting a church, coming back into this one and and then planting this one, I've never been in that situation where I've come out from one and into another. But I have talked to many men that do. And I think sometimes it's the very right thing for them to do. Sometimes it's just not done the right way. And and particularly when a church is saying to a man, uh, we think you need to move on. We think we need a different kind of gifting, different kind of man. You, they, I my plea to those churches is, um, look after the man that's labored among you. Mm-hmm. And if it takes you much longer than you thought it was going to take you, fine, take the time. Um, give him as much time as he needs. Help him so that he can leave with a real faith that God is calling him into something else and not just feel that he's, he's suddenly out of a job.
0: Mm. Yeah, mo- most of the questions that we've been talking about, Pete, have been kind of related to the internal development of the church. But one of the things that I've always appreciated about Christ church is how intentionally outward you men are, your wives are, the, the church is, and and how the fruit of that is, is being experienced by new folks coming in, people getting converted. Talk, talk a little bit about what how a pastoral team navigates the tension between building well and reaching out?
1: How do we navigate that? Well, it is a tension, because it's a tension when it comes to where you put your finances, where you put your time, where you put your energies. And so it is a tension. I think we've changed. So if you go back to our... 20 odd years ago, when we, were, when we started, it was all about building the church. Um, we, I would say we really weren't outward looking at all for probably the first decade because we were so keen to establish the doctrines of grace, establish the gospel in the church. We'd come from a background for those who planted it that didn't have that as a priority. So we had 10 years of really It was about us. And I think uh, after a decade, we started to say, it can't just be about us, we've got to take it out from here. And it began, I think, which is, we're still in the process of turning the church outwards to being engaged with others. You know, It's not enough to hold to the gospel, to teach the gospel, uh, to love the gospel, you've got to take the gospel if you're going to be gospel-centered. And so, yeah, we've become far more missional. So that means, though, that um, I'll go to some conferences, if I'm honest, and the guys may be getting very excited in the coffee bar afterwards, discussing the latest theological problem, or, you know, let's talk about, and it could be one of a thousand things, Um, let's talk about the eternal submission of the sun and what everybody's saying about this. And I sit there and I think, guys, it's I, not wrong to do this and this is good. But, how, but I don't have the luxury of spending so much time in doing that. Because a lot of us, is, we're dealing with broken lives in the city all the time. But what I don't want to do is then say, well, we're just about reaching out and I have no time for all the rest of the stuff. So creating that balance, both in building into the church from our public meetings and privately and in small groups and reaching out from the church is just a line we're always having to walk. So for instance, if I'm teaching on a Sunday, I'm teaching this Sunday, I'm speaking from 1 Thessalonians, I have to ensure that, that my preaching is not just to the church because there'll be a number of unbelievers there on Sunday. And... So at some point, Mr. Splitting was used to say, at some point I must find a way to present clearly the gospel and what it means and how people can respond to that. So all the time you're trying to ensure that you're preaching and building into the church, but then I don't want to go to the place where a lot of older evangelical churches, particularly in Wales in the past, would just have their gospel meeting. So they'd say, well, we're just about preaching the gospel But not the gospel into the church, but just the gospel from the church. So trying to get those things together, I I don't know, is hard work. And and I guess you're always adjusting, saying, you know, we need to be building more into the church. We need to be building more into marriages. We need to be building more into parenting. But at the same time, we need to be reaching out more. So those are the things that aren't easy, but you keep trying to do it
0: one of the things that's inspired me as we're on the end of this trip so we've been together for a week we've uh, done a marriage thing we've done a pastor's conference down in Swansea and uh, it's given me the opportunity to to talk a little bit more to the guys on the team to talk to Gavin and uh, and Bob and to just realize the degree of penetration that you guys have into the community um, and so i Gav was telling me about a a meeting that was convened recently, uh, which I want you to tell the story about how um, how the local uh, agencies uh, gathered together to honor your church because of the amount of outreach and the ways that you were reaching out, and how unusual it is in their experience to have relationships with churches that way so why don't you go ahead and tell that story and we'll wrap up with that
1: okay yeah well it was um it was a strange thing and it's unusual for us as well because in the uk churches are are looked on with great suspicion there's no question particularly evangelical churches you know if, if if you're a liberal anglican church you're seen in a different light but any evangelical church will be considered cultish and so as far as government agencies are concerned, they would give us a wide berth and and would not want us to be involved in anything. And yet, over the last few years, um, which started with Dan Gavetta, who was on the team and, and died suddenly at 33, uh, Dan had a passion to reach out into areas that we, we never had and help people who were in desperate need. When he died, what happened was... that seed fell into the ground and from it the whole church said "Right, we're going to carry on Dan's work so we run a food bank for people across the city who who don't have enough to eat uh, which is a huge amount we're collecting tons and tons of food every month and handing it out and uh, we have the homeless stay in our building through the winter, overnights we share that with a few other churches so nobody's out on the streets and we've been doing these things for years, slowly think because of that we've we've just very slowly started to build a reputation with with outsiders and therefore it got picked up by some of the social services they mentioned to us in one situation look we've got a couple of people here we just don't know what to do with i mean deeply sad stories of of um of people in in real desperate situations. Some of them have been trafficked as as women, teenage trafficked women coming over from Eastern Europe. Some are just people who have struggled in various different ways in Newport. They said, "Can you help us out just with a few basic things like this? This kid doesn't have a mattress or a bed to sleep on. He's sleeping on a hardwood floor. Could you get him a mattress?"
0: Gavin was saying that that part of it started because you guys approached them and said. We, we know that your docket is overwhelmed yes so if we can be of service yeah. to you at all just call us yeah. with
1: anything that you think and that's with what happened anything. so it, it started with them just saying to us well and we just it was a it was if we can help in anything let us know and we were surprised when they came back and said we've got a couple here a couple of situations would you help out we said we're on it um they said we've no money for it that there's there's too much red tape i'm this kid's sleeping on the floor and this person doesn't have a carpet and this person's in this situation and those people were very grateful and so they said could we send you another and then could we send you another and before you know it the last year we've we've every week the social services from around Newport come to us and say here's a situation can you help and it could be just befriending someone it could be taking them out to get some food it could be doing something for them in their home it could be taking them to hospital and working with them in that it could be a one of a hundred things and what the joy is we just hand it straight out to the church we do it through a through our facebook site and we say this week guys here's the needs and people in the church say i'm up for that i'll gab i'll contact the office i'll go out this afternoon and do that so that the, the what I love about this is the whole church is engaged mm. with and involved with That's the community wonderful. rather than just a small, yeah, yeah, small team, small team yeah. that are doing it. And so therefore, a few weeks ago, they, they contacted Gavin and I and said, would you come to a meeting of all of the heads of the departments? And we were thinking, oh, no, are they, take, are they going to stop this? They said, no, we'd like to say thanks. So we thought we'd go to this meeting and they'd just say, oh, thanks. It was a full-on presentation to all the heads of the department saying um, just saying what we'd done. And they'd worked it out, which we weren't aware of. They'd worked out how many homes we'd affected here, what we'd done here, what we'd done there, and they had all the statistics. And they were flashing it up on yeah, the screen. and they did it all on this presentation. And uh, I was sitting there flummoxed and didn't know what to say. And we just said, well, it's, it is a joy for us to do it and a pleasure. And so we had a party at Christmas where we had 200 of these people that we've been helping who have never set foot in a church building before, most of them. Wow. All came in. We were sharing the gospel with them. We fed the kids. We fed the parents. We fed others, and we looked after them. We had gifts for them. We've invited them back to things, and we just realized what a joy it is for us as a church to be that engaged with the neediest people in society, not in a way that's distanced, but in a way that is intimate and therefore allows us, because that's what we're about, to share the gospel mm. with these people, to genuinely get to know them and to care for them, which makes a way, it's not evangelism, it's pre-evangelism, but it does give us an opportunity to say, this is why we're doing this, mm. because this is what's been done for us, God, and this is for you too. That is such an inspiring story. Yeah, it's been a thrill. Pete, if somebody wants to get more information
0: on what Christ church is doing in these areas, is there a... Uh, Give
1: give them your website and describe if there's any area they can go on the website. Um, yeah, we're careful. We're careful what we put out over this because of the, the vulnerability of the people that we're working with. But you could certainly go on our website and contact us if you want any more info. And it's, uh, Christchurchnewport.org is our website. Okay, good. Well, Pete, thank you for
0: joining me. And, uh, for these last two podcasts and for pleasure. hosting Kim and I over the last week. That's particularly a pleasure. Incredibly enjoyable time. Um, folks, if the uh, if the MI Called site, if you've been on it and it's served you at all, uh, or if you like the podcast, uh, give us a like or a tweet. And check out, if you haven't been to the site, check out the site because there's a lot of free stuff on there. There's a free assessment test. that's just been upgraded uh, the whole site's been revised. There's tons of leadership resources. There's, there's podcasts with, uh, with Carl Truman, Colin Hansen, Thebedium, Eni Bwile, Don Whitney, a uh, host of other things. So, so check it out and see if any of that material will serve you. And uh, thanks for joining us today.